In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we stop this, this afternoon to try and pray, to give our Lord our attention, our heart, our interest, let's listen to St. Luke as he tells us of one of those encounters with Jesus after the resurrection. Now on that same day, the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's very easy to imagine the scene, these two men making their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. In the afternoon, it's getting late in the day. It's a well-traveled road, people coming and going, carts, people on foot, horseback. And in the middle of that very familiar, that very ordinary tumult and noise and chaos, they're talking. And they're talking about things that have troubled them deeply, that have confused them, that they can't understand and make sense of. They can't see the meaning of it. And in the middle of that conversation, someone comes up alongside them, as many people are coming by and is walking at the same pace that they're walking. And he starts listening. And he starts asking them questions, as we'll hear in a moment. But just to stop the narration of the gospel and for us to just pause and consider how gentle Jesus is in his approach. How ordinary. No special effects, no thunder, no lightning, no swelling music in the background. Jesus, very simply, is there, walking next to them. Jesus, who has triumphed over death and sin, who is the Lord of history, the creator of the entire universe, in the most ordinary, normal way, is passing by their side. And we want to go on and consider other points, but just to stop now and to realize Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, today, right now, is at your side. He's passing by to seek you out because he's interested in you. And he's there so that we might seek him out and so that we might find him. Where will you find him? We shouldn't close our eyes and imagine some sort of miraculous thing to happen, or it's not a question of trying to imagine Jesus, you know, kind of like an imaginary friend at my side. We have to have a more mature, a freer faith to discover that Jesus, as he himself says so many times, is in those who we meet, those that we encounter. 
and especially those who it's easiest to ignore and not give attention to. I don't know if you remember the scene from the gospel. Just recall it now. It's very moving, actually. Where Jesus is traveling with some of his disciples before his death and resurrection. He's traveling with some of his disciples that are going to a nearby town, and he overhears that some of them are getting into an argument about who is the most important, who has precedence, who, who is going to have, you know, kind of the minister posts in the future kingdom of God. And Jesus stops them when they reach their destination. He calls them together, and he calls to himself a, a small child who was in the group. He calls this little child, and just, you can just imagine this child coming in front of Jesus, and then Jesus turning the, the small little fellow around. So he's looking out, everyone looking at him. And then St. Mark tells us in his gospel that putting his arms around him, Jesus embraced him, pulled him close, so that visibly they could see that closeness, trying to as much as he could in a, in a visible way, identify himself with that young man. And he says, who, whoever accepts one of these little ones in my name accepts me. In other words, this child who none of you were giving importance to, none of you were paying attention to at all, who's insignificant and none of you were asking what he thinks about things or his opinions, which is normal because he's just a little kid. But he used that as an image to say that the people that you might be tempted to overlook, to not give importance to, precisely there is where you are to find me, to serve me and to love me. Some of you will be engaging in a service project soon enough. And this fundamental teaching of Jesus that he is to be found in the needy is very important for us. Pope Francis, time and time again, has emphasized the importance for all Christians that in those who are hungry, those who are marginalized, those who are suffering in their soul or in their body, whatever the case may be, there is where, and the Pope uses a very striking language, he says, that's where we touch the flesh of Christ. That's not what you'll see. It's not what you feel. But it's what is there. It's what's true. You see, Jesus is so much closer than we imagine as a result of his resurrection. He's at our side and he's calling us to a greatness of soul. And greatness of soul is a consequence of giving ourselves and that is why service projects like the one that some of you are going to be involved in, the, the person who most benefits from it is you, not them. You are the one who benefits by coming out of yourself, by giving yourself, and discovering Christ as not someone who's just in your imagination, someone who's a personal, private opinion, but Christ who is passing by out there in reality of the world, and especially in the reality of the world that is hurting and aching and in need. That is where Christ is close. That's where we are to serve him, first and foremost. Now, for that, we don't have to go necessarily to exotic places. We don't have to find people who are, you know, homeless or physically ill or disfigured or in horrible situations or migrants. We need to do that as well. But we also need to love him and serve him in our friends and in our colleagues and the people who are with us who simply suffer the pain of indifference 
pain of confusion and ignorance, the ignorance of not knowing Christ, of not having experienced that having him at your side is actually a joyful thing. Because I, I'm saying all of this, but let, and maybe you're listening to it in your prayer and, and agreeing with it in the sense that you know, maybe in faith, that, yeah, that's right, that it's a good thing that Jesus is at my side. But be honest with yourself right now in your prayer. Are you really eager to discover Jesus at your side, that close to you at all times in your life? Is that good news for you? Or is it kind of something stressful? You know, Gosh, if Jesus is at my side all the time, and well, if I really realize that, if I really believe that, well, then I guess I'd have to be kind of praying all the time and saying rosaries and, and reading the Bible and doing all sorts of charitable works and all these sorts of things that I'm not doing you know, if I really believe that he was with me all the time. I don't think we ever explicitly think that, but maybe it could be in the back of our minds. And if that is, if that rings true in any way for you in your prayer, would I invite you right now through an act of faith, an act of trust, that that's not what Jesus is like. That is not Jesus. It's very, very important, and we need to understand the power of the revelatory nature of the words. What does Jesus say after the resurrection? After he has achieved the climax of all of human history, of all of cosmic history, he has conquered evil, sin, opposition. He comes to the apostles and the first words out of his mouth, what is the message that he wants to deliver? What does he say to them? Peace be with you. He can give that to them now after the resurrection. He comes to our side, he comes into our souls. He wants to live our lives with us. Not to hijack our lives and try to make us do something that we're kind of uncomfortable doing. But he comes to give us peace. And as he says in the Last Supper, I, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace, do I give peace to you. And peace in the world, you know, as we might experience, is kind of the peace normally of just being left alone, you know? <laughs> you know, think about your situation at work or at school, or, you know, nobody's breathing on my neck, uh, you know, being left alone, things are kind of okay, I've got a nice cocktail, sunny weather, um, things are good, right? I'm peace. That's what the world can give us, kind of hassle-free moments. But the peace that Christ gives us is the fullness of life, the possession of that. That that hunger and that thirst that we have, a hunger and thirst for what is true, for what is good, is satisfied in him. And to realize that he's passing at my side in my daily life is a little bit, and it's always going to be limited, and it's always going to be hard in, in, in our daily experiences because because life is hard, 
and there's, there's setbacks and things that go wrong. But in, if we try, if we want to in faith to try to find him there, we will tap in a little bit, much more than we imagine, into that Jesus who, when we meet him, peace be with you. Let's go back to our, our two disciples who've just encountered Jesus on the road without realizing that they're Jesus and that, that he's Jesus. And that conversation begins. Jesus asks them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days. It's wonderful the realism of this story, reflecting the way in which these two disciples would have told it over and over and over among the first Christians, their experience. Told it like it was. Jesus comes and, what are you talking about? And that reaction of annoyance. Are you the only person who doesn't realize why we're upset? What's happened? Haven't you heard? The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us, They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those women who were with us went to see the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Hearing all that he says, Cleophas, and his companion agreeing with him, it's it's actually in a sense, extraordinary that they're leaving Jerusalem to go back home. They're walking away in despair. Because what they've heard is fairly extraordinary. That some of the women went to the tomb and it was empty. There came back saying that they saw angels who told them that Jesus was alive. Peter and, and some of the others went, but they didn't see anything. They just saw an empty tomb. You'd think that at least out of curiosity, they might want to stay back and kind of find out what had happened, what was going on. But such was their disappointment. And even more than that, such was their, their kind of demanding that, look, unless we see something, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to trust what other people say. We, we need to believe on our terms. And right now in our prayer, what we need to stop and consider, because this is, this is a theme that appears time and again in the accounts of the resurrection. Let's consider how important trust is in our life of faith. That we come to know Christ, we come to grow in our faith through what others tell us. Not because I just close myself in a room by myself and with my own thinking and my brilliant intelligence come to an understanding of faith and who Jesus is and therefore of the truth. But 
as a wonderful gift, I have been brought into this larger family, which is the family of God that we call the church. And it's there through the teaching of the saints and the teaching of the tradition that's been handed from the apostles down to us century after century that we receive this trustworthy testimony of who Jesus is, of what God is like. And faith is to trust that. Remember, another instance of this is Jesus' encounter with Thomas. Thomas, who hears what the other apostles say about Jesus, Thomas, who hears that Jesus, their witness that Jesus has been risen from the dead, but who refuses to believe. He will not trust what he's told. He says, I will only believe on my conditions. If it works out for me, according to this way, if it works out for me, if I see, if I touch. Maybe it's worth asking ourselves right now in our prayer. Again, trying to be honest and sincere, not giving the right answer, but the true one. Am I waiting for Jesus to somehow prove himself to me? You know, before I have a real faith, before I really give myself wholeheartedly, before I really entrust myself to him, I don't know, I want to see something a little bit more clear. I want to feel something more passionate. I want whatever put in the condition may be. Circumstances to change, when I get older, when I, whatever. Am I waiting for Jesus to prove himself to me and then I will believe? If there is any condition that we can become aware of of what we're putting on having real childlike trust in God, right now in our prayer, Lord, teach us the, the, the fantastic life-giving path of trusting you. Give us the wisdom, give us the courage to trust, to unite myself to this family of God that reaches all over the world. When you and I believe, when we believe what the church teaches us about God, about Jesus, about salvation, about the purpose of the world and the destiny of the cosmos, we are uniting ourselves to something much bigger than ourselves. So we don't rely on how certain I feel, but I trust what I hear. And that's not us turning our brains off and ceasing to think and allowing ourselves to be kind of pulled like a puppet by strings by someone else. It's a, it's, a, it's a very human, a very noble act to trust in a reasonable way those who can give us a trustworthy testimony and witness. And that's what we do in faith. And that's what unites us to Christ. And it's that unwillingness to trust that Jesus chides them for. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe All that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they're walking along, Jesus, without them still, they don't realize it's Jesus yet, this for them a stranger, 
suddenly becomes very passionate, very animated. And as he does this, he starts saying, and what about this, and the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Ezekiel, and Hosea, and all of the prophets, and Moses, in this event, and he starts describing how all of these were actually speaking about Jesus of Nazareth and what would happen in his life. He starts pointing them out one passage after another in this event and that other. And in that passionate conversation, what starts happening is Jesus, without them realizing that it's Jesus, starts helping these two men understanding how everything that before, all they saw was just confusion, stuff that didn't make sense, how all of those events actually had to do with Jesus. He was present in them. This is what St. Luke says when he says, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So very simply, what happens in that conversation, and it's important for us to consider it because it's a beautiful image of what we aspire to in our personal prayer. Listening to Jesus, talking to him, and the consequence of that listening and of that talking is that these two men begin to see and discern how the story of their lives has at its center the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus is the one who unlocks the meaning, the purpose. That meaning and purpose was hidden to them. They didn't see it. They, They hadn't realized it. They just saw things that didn't make sense, that they couldn't understand something that was upsetting them and depressing them. But Jesus, through that personal conversation, through that dialogue, helps them see how all of those things were related to himself. Our prayer needs to do the same thing. When we stop each day to talk to our Lord, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to pray about? St. Maria, the founder of Opus Dei, would say that the theme of our prayer should be the theme of our life. What I'm doing today, what had me concerned, what I was eager about, my plans, my projects, my fears, my joys. And I talk to Jesus so that I might see how he is passing by, how he's at my side, how he's present in each one of those things. And this isn't an intellectual process so much as an insight, an intuition, a a being led to understanding that that in those people, mentioned earlier in the specific example of service, in those uh, tasks that I have to get done, in those duties that I have to fulfill, I'm not just confronting kind of blind, mute, faceless obligations that I have to deal with, with eyes of faith, eyes that are opened through personal prayer, I can discover that in those moments, Jesus is there inviting me and calling me by name. And to the degree that we pray like this, seeing how Jesus is present in my day, how I can love him and say yes to him, in all of those circumstances, the more that I start trying to do that and the more that I start seeing that, the freer I am. And just towards the end of our prayer, just like to consider a little bit how important the experience 
of that freedom is. If you and I commit to praying every day, one of the consequences, or what, better said, one of the signs that we're actually praying, not just talking to ourselves, making something up in our imagination, is that we have an ever greater experience of freedom. Now, what is freedom? Well, this could be a whole philosophy class. Huh? We don't, we're not here to do philosophy. We're here to pray. But freedom isn't simply the ability to choose the means to an end. Right? So I want to go to work, and I, can, how can I, I need to get to work. So to get to work, I could take the bus, I could drive, I go on a bike. Okay, there's a certain kind of freedom there. I've got different ways that I could choose to get to work. If I don't have any choices whatsoever, it's hard for me to say that I'm free. If I'm locked up in a prison somewhere, I'm obviously not free to go to work because I can't get there. can't choose the means to arrive at the end. But that's not really what freedom is. And it's hard. I mean, it involves that. But freedom is essentially the ability to choose why I'm going to work. Freedom is our, our, that, that wonderful aspect of just human dignity of being able, that I am the one who chooses why I do what I'm doing. And that is at the, at the heart of our relationship with God. St. Josemaria had this very powerful phrase. He would say, the most divine, supernatural reason that we can have for doing anything is because I want to. Now just think about that. Right? A saint telling us the most divine reason you can have for doing everything, you know, it's not because you're supposed to, because it's, you know, you know, don't break the Ten Commandments, or because the church says, or because it's in the catechism. The reason that will most unite you to God for doing whatever you want is because I want to. That I am the source of that choosing. Now, obviously, inherent in that is that I have to choose I, have to, it's, I am free to the, degree, to the extent that I choose something that's actually true and actually good. Right? Because there's a lot of ways to get choices wrong. You know, there's a lot of caricatures of freedom. And just to take an extreme example, think about any addiction. Right? A person who is addicted, as they give in to whatever that craving or urge might be, to gamble or to drink or whatever it may be, in that moment, he might feel free, but every time he gives into that, he's enslaving himself more and more. It's, it's only when we, because we want to and we choose to love something that is actually, in fact, good and true, that we experience the joy of freedom. And when we experience that joy of freedom, it's always going to involve us growing in love. Let's think about it. Can you imagine wanting anything or, or, any, or anyone more than what you love? Right? Whatever I love is what I most want. And whenever I'm doing something for someone that I love or I'm doing something that I love, 
almost always we have an experience of feeling very free when we're doing that. We don't feel forced because we're doing it out of love. And with this, we can connect what we were saying. We, we have to end our prayer, and, and there's so much more that we could go say in this direction. But what we were saying at the beginning, if our personal daily prayer helps us discover how Christ is passing by at our side, what it will have as a consequence is help us to be freer. Because a lot of the circumstances in our life, we can't choose them to be some other way. You know, we have certain people we live with and we can't change that. If you have a boss that you don't like, many times you can't change that. Family members, uh, physical illness, a lot, a lot of circumstances we have that objectively condition us. But if I choose to seek out Christ, even in those things that I wish were different, Lord, how can I love you even in this circumstance? What I'm doing is discovering a path of freedom. And to the degree that we do that, we discover the secret that all of the saints have discovered. That by discovering the risen Christ at their side, no matter how hard the circumstances were, no matter the most adverse, uh, horrible situations, they were the freest of all people because they were loving the person who was true. As Jesus himself says in the gospel, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When the disciples with this stranger finally arrive at their destination, they ask him to stay. He was planning to go further. And he comes in and they have a meal, and, and St. Luke tells us that it was in that moment that Jesus breaks the bread. And in the breaking of the bread, that moment they recognize that, he's him, that it's Jesus. They see him. And then he disappears. And all that's left is the bread. We too need to recognize him in the bread. We need to catch that glimpse. And that's why it's best if we can pray before the Blessed Sacrament, if we have that opportunity. If we can't, we can do it wherever. But when we participate in the Mass, that we go asking that in that very unique particular encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, that that encounter help us to have the faith and the courage to discover him in so many other places and circumstances of our life. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.